Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. God, and open the Word of God to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. As we continue to worship today, what we're going to look at is we look at today the conversion of a man named Saul. We're going to later know him as the Apostle Paul, but he's got a story of an unlikely transformation. Paul's conversion is kind of one of those stories where where we can kind of think of the most unlikely person in the world to be saved and get changed by Jesus, and that's exactly who Saul is. We all can kind of think of that person, right? Like, what in the world would happen if he got saved? How in the world could God ever change her heart? And so we see this happen with Saul, who, who's a man who's been threatening the, the Lord's church, who's been chasing and hunting Christians, who was there at the stoning of Stephen. He is a man who wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And yeah, that's exactly who Jesus goes after. And what a great reminder for us that there's no one who is too far from God to reach. That there's no one too lost, that there's no one too broken, that there's no one too dysfunctional, that there's no one too sinful, there's no one with too much shame or guilt, that there's no one that Jesus cannot reach. Because we know the gospel truth is that God can save anyone, anytime, anywhere. And we're going to see that happen today in the most unlikely way, because what we know to be true when it comes to the gospel is that we are all one invitation away from the impossible. And so if you will, for the honor of God's word, let's stand together to read Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. That's the word breathing is the word breathing in. He is still breathing in hatred. He's still breathing in contempt. He's still breathing in a desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ and his church completely eliminated. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. He wants nothing to do with his followers. In fact, the thing he wants to see happen, it says murder. He wants to kill Christ. He wants to kill Christians. And so what does he do? He goes to the high priest and he asks for letters, verse 2, from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So now he's got arrest warrants. Going to Damascus, I'm going to go hunt Christians. I'm going to go find the believers. I'm going to bring them back to Jerusalem for execution and for trial. And as he was traveling, verse 3, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up, enter the city, and will be told to you what you must do. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat today. Keep the text of the word open before you. Take the backside of the worship God. We're going to walk together through this word today, plug in some things as we go, and we're going to see kind of two main sections of this text stand out to show us what really happens when we get invited to be saved by Jesus and how he changes our lives from there forward. And so mighty, mighty movement of power of God here as we see the transformation, the conversion of a man named Saul. I want to see the first thing in this text today is this. Number one, we see in Saul, when he's confronted by Christ, when he's changed by Christ, we meet a new man with a new master. 
We need a new man with a new master. Again, go back to our text, verse 1. Saul, he's still breathing. All right, he's not letting up. He's not like, okay, fine, we're good. He's still breathing threats. He's still breathing murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest. He went to a higher authority and says, hey, give me some letters. I want some arrest warrants. I want permission to go to the synagogues at Damascus and, and to find any belonging to the way, both men and women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He might go arrest and take these Christians back. So understand, after successfully overseeing the stoning of Stephen, and we know he was there. We met Saul in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we meet a man named Stephen. Stephen's one of the seven elected deacons of the first church. And, and Stephen's giving testimony of Christ. And as they drag him out of the city to stone him for being a believer in Jesus, all the men who were involved in the stoning, they laid their cloaks, they laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. He's a Pharisee. That's the first time we meet Saul. He's standing there at least overseeing, at least championing, at least cheering on, let's kill Stephen. So he was there for the execution. We know that about Saul. Now he, he has sieged an attack against all the Christians in Jerusalem. And so he's launched a, a kind of a search. He's la launched a hunt. He's launched everything. And it says in Acts chapter 8 that he, there's a heavy persecution against the church in, in Jerusalem. And so now the Christians have scattered. And remember, they've gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. But Paul, or Saul, he's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with scattering. He wants to hunt them down. I want to bring these people back. I want to put them and make an example of them on trial and perhaps lead them to an execution. So he wasn't satisfied. He wants to go on the hunt. And so he's going to Damascus for one singular purpose, to find Christians, arrest them, and bring them back for trial. That's what is on his mind. That's what's on his lips. That's what's on his heart. And that's the, the, the direction that his life is going. But something completely unexpected happens along the way. On his way to arrest Christians, Jesus arrests all. On his way to conquer Christians, Jesus conquers Saul. Because it says in verse 3, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up, enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. No, he is blinded by the pure presence, the glory, and don't miss this, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, fully glorified, fully resurrected, has appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. He is here confronting Saul, and he blinds Saul with his glory. We know that the glory of Jesus, he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. In the book of Revelation, it says in heaven, there will be no need for light because the sun will radiate his own glory to illuminate the entire heavens and earth. And so we know that he has been blinded by the presence, the power, and the person of Jesus Christ himself. And when I think about his blindness, I don't think he was blind in blackness. I think he was blind as if he was staring into the sun, just blinded by light. All he could see was the glory of God. All he was blinded by was the glory of God. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Because he recognizes this is not just somebody on the way to Damascus. This is the sovereign king. 
He's calling me by name. He calls out to him, and Jesus identifies himself, says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, whom you are coming against. And he says, get up into the city, and it will be told what you must do. See, Jesus identifies himself and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You need to say, hold on. Hold on. Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus, right? He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting Christians. Saul thought he was on some righteous mission. He thought he was on some good thing to go and eliminate the movement of Christianity. He thought it was a false movement. He thought these were a bunch of heretics, and he's taking upon himself, I'm going to eliminate this false movement that does not honor the living God. And all of a sudden, he realizes, I'm on the wrong team. I'm playing for the enemy. I'm not doing it for, for the living God. I'm actually opposing the living God. And, and what he learns here when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What he learns is this. To persecute the church is to persecute Christ. To persecute the body is to persecute the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus identifies himself with his body. Don't miss that. He, he is inseparable from his people. Every member of the body of Christ is a member of his church. And if one believer, watch this, is touched on earth, that touch is felt in heaven. That's how much he identifies with us. I love this. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming after me? What are you doing to oppose me? You're doing this all against me. And so see this principle, see this application very clearly in the text. There's no separation of love for Christ and loyalty to his church. There's no separation of a love for Jesus and a love and loyalty to his body. Because see this, when he says, why are you persecuting me? He identifies with the body. He he embodies the the church. He embodies the body of Christ. And he is inseparable from his people. And so if you love Jesus, what this means here today, you will love his church. That's how much he identifies with his church. The question then becomes, shouldn't that be how much we identify with his body? If he loves the church that much, shouldn't we have the same affection for the body of Christ? If we love the church that he loved enough to die for, shouldn't we love the church enough to live for it and to live with it, to live in it? If you're committed to Christ as a believer, as a disciple, as a true follower, you will be committed to his church. He is so committed to his body. He is so committed to the members of the household. He is so committed as the groom to the bride. And I just challenge ourselves, we should be too. We need to join the church. We need to serve the church. We need to give of ourselves to the church. we we got to be committed to live what Jesus died for. But it goes on. And it says, Saul, get up because you're persecuting me, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do with your life. And the men who travel with him, they stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. And so Saul got up from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. You can imagine a mighty man with with great intentions to come, eliminate Christ. He has to be led in humility, led in brokenness, led in all kinds of embarrassment, because that's not the way he planned to enter this city, right? He planned to enter the city guns blazing with with warrants on, on hand, and now he's being led into the city blind as a man. And for three days, it says this, he neither ate nor drank. I want you to see and very clearly the, the, the challenge of, of verse 7. It says, The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Don't miss this. Don't miss what's so easy to happen. It's really easy to experience God but never encounter God. 
It's real easy to be around his voice, but never actually hear his voice. The people heard a bunch of noise, right? They perhaps saw a blinding light. What enough to blind them, and it wasn't enough to, for them to hear. They didn't actually hear the voice of God. And so hearing the voice of God, it changed Saul's life. Right? When he heard the voice of God, he says, Who are you, Lord? I'm hearing your voice. I know you're the King of kings and Lord of lords, so identify yourself that I'm hearing the right voice. He heard the voice, and it says the voice changed his life, but nobody else heard it. Nobody else identified with it. No one else received it. They just heard a voice. They heard some noise, but they never understood what it was to know God, to know Jesus. And so understand that that salvation starts for all of us in the same point. It starts with us hearing the voice of God. How do I know that? Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the very word of God. It comes from the words of Christ. If you want to know God, you want to know salvation, you need to hear God. And how do we hear God? We read and ingest and live his word. That's how we hear the voice of God. You want to hear it out loud? Then read it out loud, right? That's how we hear the voice of God, is we understand that it comes through his word. And so understand it's not enough to experience church if you don't ever experience Christ. And a lot of people are in the presence of God, but none of them felt the power. None of them met the person. They were just there for the experience. And I would just say, let that not be you today. Let you not just be here and be like, I'm around it. I'm in the presence of it, but I've never met the person. I've never met the voice. I've never identified who he is. And because what we see here is, is we have an open ear, and now we have an open life. Because he goes on, he says, hey, I'm going to tell you what to do with the rest of your life. And, and the men who traveled with him, they, they were speechless. He didn't eat or drink. And then it says this, and they brought him to Damascus, and he was there for three days. And there was, verse 10, a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And so what we see here is the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. God has a big plan for Saul, a big purpose for Saul, but it also comes with a price because I will show him, verse 16, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands upon him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, physically, it says, there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight. He got up and he was baptized. Again, someone keeps repeating this pattern. Someone in this room, you need to be baptized, right? It's being presented to us over and over and over again. And he took food and he was strengthened. Saul fought to conquer Christianity. And what we see here, he was conquered by Christ, but with a new commission. So we have a new man with a new master and now he's got this new commission, and, and God's got a plan for Saul. So he tells him to go to Damascus and to go wait. He gives him a vision. He says, there's a man, Ananias, who's going to come. He's going to lay his hands upon you. He's going to 
pray for you, and then your scales are going to fall. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to use you for something mighty in my master plan for your life. And Ananias, he gets told by this. God says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go get Saul. And, and kind of Ananias understandably objects. He's like, God, do you know who this man is? I'm not sure, God, if you know who Saul is, but Saul, he murdered some people in Jerusalem. And, and Saul's here right now with the authority to arrest people like me. And you want me to go to him? That's like sending me behind enemy lines. That's sending me to the person who's here to eliminate me. And you want me to go do what now? To go pray for him? To go love him? To go serve him? You want me to go do that? But God said, go, and, and Ananias went. Ananias said, here, I am, Lord, I will go, send me. He goes, he obeys, he lays his hand on the waiting Saul who's been told by God what's going to happen, and he walks up to him, it says in verse 17, and he says what? Brother Saul. Don't miss that significance. See, it takes a lot of grace on both ends for this to happen. One, it takes a lot of grace for Ananias to walk up and call an enemy of God brother. Right, He walks up and says, Brother Saul. This is a man who's killed Christians. This is a man who's arrested probably people Ananias knows. This is a man Ananias knows is here to take him captive, take him back to Jerusalem for trial and execution. This is a man who stands opposed to everything Ananias lives for. And he walks up and the first words out of his mouth are Brother Saul. But not only is it grace for Ananias, but man, what grace from God for for Saul. The first words he hears from another Christian are not, I hate you. Get out of here. You don't belong here. There's no place for you here in this place. You need to, to go on and find somewhere else. We don't want you here. The first words that he hears from a brother in Christ is, brother, brother Saul. What grace there is from God to give us comfort and confidence that not only in Jesus do we receive a new identity, we receive a new family. Right? We are the body of Christ. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians, if one part suffers, the whole body feels it. Right? Because we're a body. We're many parts, but we make up the one body of Christ. And so we have this confidence and assurance that when we get changed by Jesus, not only do we receive a new master, we receive a brand new family. And I want to tell you today in the name of Jesus, if you're here today and you don't have a family, we would love to invite you in. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I doubt any of you have a past like Saul, but perhaps you do have a little sketchy past. That's fine. There's forgiveness, there's hope, and there's freedom in the name of Jesus, and you can be a brother or sister in Christ today. You have a family here, right? We're not just a church. We're not just a building. We are the body and the family of God. And you're invited to come in. Everything changed for Saul. It says immediately, verse 18, after he was received, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, after he experienced that goodness and grace of salvation, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. He got up. He took a step of obedient faith. He was baptized by immersion, and he took food, and he was strengthened. I want you to see, when you become a new person, you receive a new purpose. Everything for life, everything life of Saul changed from this point forward. Nothing would be the same. He would not go back and, and teeter back into Phariseeism. He wouldn't kind of go back into the religious world, right? He wouldn't go back and kind of do and dabble in some of the old things and be the old man he used to be. From this point forward, Saul is a brand new creation. Nothing is the same. 
His whole life was changed. His whole life was redirected. It's almost like you put a dot on a piece of paper and pivot. And that's exactly what Paul's life, Saul's life has now become. He is walking as a brand new man with a brand new purpose in a brand new direction. And I would just say, has that been your story in Christ? Have you been changed in such a way that immediately the scales have fallen from your eyes? You've walked towards Jesus and now you're being strengthened as you follow him. See, that's the story of Saul. That's the story of conversion is that I once was blind, but what now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was walking this way, but I've been changed by Jesus on that road, and now I'm walking this way. This is the story of all of us who come to Christ. We must be a new man with a new master. But that leads us to number two. We see with Saul now a new mission with a new message. A new mission with a new message. It goes on in verse 19, after he was strengthened, it says, for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And so he stayed. He was there. He was with disciples. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. So notice that he doesn't wait. He didn't go through a discipleship training class. He doesn't have to be vetted for, let's, let's see how Saul does for 90 days. No, it says immediately he started preaching. Immediately, he started proclaiming Christ. He started going into the synagogues at Damascus and saying, Jesus is the Son of God. And all those hearing him, they continued to be amazed. They were saying, wait, wait, is this not the same guy? Is this not the guy at Jerusalem who destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? It's almost like, wait a second, he's coming to the synagogues to preach Christ. I thought he was coming to the synagogues to get arrest warrants. Right? The very synagogues that called him here to come arrest Christians are the very synagogues he comes in and says, I've got it all wrong. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the only way to be saved. I know y'all brought me here for one reason, but I've got a new reason in life, and I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the way. And so they were confused. They were astounded. They were astonished. But Saul, verse 22, he kept increasing in strength. He kept increasing in faith. He kept increasing in knowledge of God, confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. We have that example of Stephen, remember, when he was refuting all those who were kind of arguing the Hellenistic Jews in the temple. And they're like, we can't come against him. We don't have an argument against this man. He is so wise and full of truth that we have nothing to say against his arguments. And now Saul's got the same thing. It's almost like he's taking the place of Stephen here, carrying out the word of God, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Now, verse 23, we have to understand God's timing is not always our timing. And the text here says, when many days had elapsed, that many days you can write down three years. Or when three years had passed, how do we know it's three years? Well, you go to Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, or Saul, at that point, Paul, he, he says, I wrote, uh, I left, I left and I went to Arabia. In, in Arabia for three years, he met and communed with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Why? Remember, he says, I'm not an apostle from man. I'm an apostle from Christ. I have been an eyewitness of Jesus right here, but I've also received the gospel from Jesus right there. And so we understand that he is truly an apostle. He's not a disciple. He's one of the ones who would be an eyewitness, one of the ones who would have firsthand knowledge from Jesus himself. And so he goes away, and for three years he meets with God. He, he meets with Jesus. The Holy Spirit fills him with all truth, all knowledge of the gospel, prepares him for those three years for what? To go 
be suffered, right? To suffer for, for his name's sake. The three years preparing for that waiting time, that period. God never wastes our waiting. That's so why we must worship in our waiting. And so they, they have him come back to Damascus. When many days had elapsed, they, they plotted to kill him. All right, this guy, he's a problem. He went away, but his influence hasn't gone. His ministry hasn't gone. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night, so they might put him to death. And so now the hunter has become the hunted. Right? Now the persecutor has become the persecuted. And now the one who's conquered has now been trying to be conquered by others. And so now it's all become known. They're trying to kill him, and they were watching. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. So it says Saul goes on telling everyone about Jesus. Saul goes in the very temples that called him to come eliminate Christ. He goes in there and is proclaiming Christ. Sorry, guys. Again, not the right message. I've got it wrong. I'm here to tell you what's right. And his conversion is so radical that he goes from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ. It's incredible. It's such a radical transformation. He goes from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ and furthermore proving it, arguing, defending proclaiming the truth. And remember, he was brought here to stop Christianity, and now he's spreading it further and further and further than anyone thought possible. He just simply can't stop telling people that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the only way to be saved. He is the only one who can change your life. And Saul grew stronger. The Holy Spirit, for those years, filled him, equipped him, empowered him for the mission. And, and, and then he's coming back to, to, to proclaim the good news, and, and now he narrowly escapes death. It's just kind of an Indiana Jones escape right there. He's in the city. They're hunting, and they lower him down through a, a wall, an opening in the wall, and a basket. I mean, it's just kind of fun. And then he goes off to Jerusalem, verse 26. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Are you sure you're saved? You sure you've been changed by Jesus? Let, let's, let's hold off, and let's make sure that that's really what's going on with your life. But Barnabas, incredible words right here, but Barnabas took hold of him, brought him to the apostles, described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And when he was with them, moving up freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, and he was taking, uh, talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, the same ones that argue with Stephen, and they were attempting to put him to death, just like Stephen. But when the brethren learned of it, when the brothers learned of it, they, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. And so the church, because of the conversion of Saul, because of the obedience of Saul, because of the ministry of Saul, the testimony, the witness of Saul, one man telling everyone about Jesus, the church there, all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they enjoyed peace, being built up, encouraged, going on in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the church continued to increase. Amen. So Saul narrowly escapes death. He comes to Jerusalem, and watch this. He's only to be met with suspicion. That's a challenge for the church, right? Because we see someone, and we're skeptical. Are you sure that guy's changed? I don't know about him. I know he got saved and baptized. And listen, the fruit, all right, it's all about the fruit. I understand that. And I understand that we are fruit uh, witnesses and we are fruit inspectors, right? We must inspect all the fruit, but we got fruit here of this man who's truly been changed by Christ. It's been three years. 
And three years later, he comes back and he still is telling people all about Jesus. Three years later, he is still on fire for Christ. Three years later, he has not gone back to his old lifestyle. But they have some skepticism. They have a little bit of fear of him, especially because of what they know about him, that formerly he was a man who killed people like the church, right? And so they have some suspicion. They have some withholding here. And then they kind of put him to the side until a man, it says, named Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, the son of encouragement? The one in the very beginning who sold all he had to give to the church so they might distribute to the believers in need? That's the man Barnabas. He was a man who loved others, a man who saw the best in others, a man who was an encourager. And what I love about Barnabas is that this, he believed in what he preached. He believed in what he preached. What do you mean by that? He truly believed the gospel that Jesus Christ is able to transform and change a person's life no matter who they are. And he said, hey, if Jesus did it, I believe it. Right? He believed in the gospel. And I think a lot of times we have to remind ourselves, do I believe in the gospel that I preach? Because here's what I believe. I believe so much in the power of the gospel that Jesus is able to take anybody and save them from their sin. I believe that Jesus has the power of the gospel to take someone who's in a lifestyle of sin and transform them into a lifestyle of righteousness. I believe that God can not only elevate a dead person from death to life, but can elevate a dead marriage. I believe that God can take a wayward child and bring them back home to the faith. I believe that no matter who you are and what you've done, Jesus can forgive you and can give you new life and comfort by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the gospel, and I better believe what I preach. Barnabas believed it. He said, yeah, this guy's legit. I believe in the things that I preach. I believe in the power of the gospel. And because of the encouragement, because of of Barnabas vouching and and kind of sponsoring Saul, they they said, okay, let's, let's, let's bring him in. They brought him as a brother. And so I want to challenge you as we think about Saul and think about even the witness of Barnabas as we take this home today is this. You have been transformed to tell one more person the life-changing truth of Jesus. You have been transformed. If you are in Christ, you have been transformed to tell one more person the life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, we've said this several times now, the Holy Spirit is not given for your enjoyment. The Holy Spirit is given for your employment. We are called to go. We are called to go. We are the ones who are sent. And I love that immediately it says Saul, he went into the synagogues and he just started preaching. Saul went on the way. Everywhere he went, he started preaching. Barnabas defending the gospel. Barnabas, the church, it continued to increase because people were empowered. They were encouraged. And they just kept telling people their testimony. They've been changed by the truth. They've been transformed, and they're transferring the truth that can change anyone, anytime, anywhere. Would you be willing to go? Because here's what I know to be true. There's no such thing as a Christian without a testimony. We all have a testimony. I know sometimes we think it's too bad to tell, or we think it's not bad enough that I can't tell anybody about it, right? That's, that's kind of the default that we all have is maybe my testimony is not good enough. Maybe I need to go live a little more life and get a better testimony so I can go come back and, and tell everyone what all the bad things I've done, right? Or maybe we think, man, I can't ever tell anybody that. Those are shameful secrets in my life that I would never bear witness to. And so I want to challenge you on either way, no matter what it is, here's the same story we all have. We have one story in common. It's this, I have never found anything better than Jesus. 
Whether you were six years old and got saved and baptized at a young age and lived your life growing in the knowledge of God until an adult and you started just living for Christ and you've never turned back, here's the story that you have. I have lived and I've never found anything better than Jesus. The other side is, man, I lived like a rebellious heathen, right? I've, I've raised hell in my life and I've got shame and secrets and guilt that you would never want to tell. But here's the deal. If you came to Christ, even after all those things, your same truth would be this. I have lived and never found anything better than Jesus. We all have the same testimony. Whether I've never experienced it or I've experienced it all, what we can all say together, if you are in Christ, I have never found anything better than Jesus. Would you go tell somebody that? Would you go say, hey, can I just tell you that there's nothing in my life better than Jesus? That I've tried everything and nothing's better than Jesus? Or you said, I've had him and I don't need anything else. There's nothing better than Jesus. Whatever it may be, you must tell the story of Christ that there's nothing better than Jesus. When? Right now. All right, it says immediately he went. Right now. When does a candle start giving off light? When does a candle start giving off heat? As soon as it's lit. Right? We don't wait halfway down for it to start working. As soon as you light a candle, as soon as you light a wick, man, it's on fire. It's giving off light. It's giving off heat. As soon as you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got fire inside of you. You've got light. You've got heat. Go give it away. Start shining for Christ. When? Right now. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the Word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.